Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 59, and this is a special episode because for those of you watching it live, there's three boxes, not two, because we have a special guest, Techno Tim. How you doing, Tim? Hey, good. Real good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, this is uh, fun, your 100 days of Home Lab and the challenge with it. I, I like that there's not just let's play with stuff, but a commitment to doing it, because I think that's what really gets people um, going forward on it, you know what I mean, and picking these different projects. So uh, you seem like the ideal guest, and if you haven't heard of the uh, 100 Day Home Lab Challenge, that video will be linked in the description. Uh, Tim put that video out. We all participated in it. You know, it's always exciting when we submit a video to someone else putting a project. So I really didn't know what Tim was going for. Um, uh, but the end result was amazing. It was. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just to expand on that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been noodling on this idea for, for I don't know, like six months. And, you know, I kind of bounced some ideas off of you guys. I, I, I you know, I, I explained a little bit, um, but I've been noodling on this idea for like six months. Uh, I, I, I'm a software developer uh, for my, my, my real job. I actually took a little bit of time away from work to do this. Um, but I'm a software developer and software developers have had this challenge for, for a while. It's the hundred days of code and I see it pop up in Twitter all the time. Yeah. And I thought like, yep. Hey, like, um, you know, uh, uh, the, the landscape of home lab and infrastructure and automation is in a cloud, non-cloud hybrid cloud networking storage is, is rapidly changing. Like we need something for people in home lab. And that's where I started thinking like, Hey, what, what if we did a home lab challenge? Uh, and then, yeah, you guys participated in my, my hundred K sub video, which I greatly appreciated. It was awesome. Yeah. I, I was, I was a little vague. I was like, Hey, you know, I want to do a hundred case celebration, but not about me. I want to get people motivated about home lab. And Oh, by the way, I think I might do this hundred days of home lab challenge. Uh, it was definitely interesting, like editing your guys' videos and thank you so much for, for trusting me with your videos. Uh, it was, uh, it was very <laughs> surreal, uh, as it is now talking to you guys. I've listened to you guys for years, years. And uh, oh, you wow. guys are the de facto standards for a lot of, you know, uh, focus areas for me. So um, it's 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 very surreal hearing your voices, but talking to me and not, you know, just uh, on a video explaining how to do something uh, in a home lab or technology or networking or Linux. You know, interesting point. Uh, as much as I've chatted with you via Twitter and other uh, places that we talk on Discord, you're right. This is the first time we've, uh, I think, done a live or interactiveness like this. And we're doing it live in front of a whole audience. There's a bunch of people watching. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've we've chatted a, a little bit. Yeah, but, but this is the first time like uh, doing anything live. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have my own live show, but I, I'm, it's always been by myself. So I, I greatly appreciate it. It's, it's, it's awesome. Awesome for sure. And For I love sure. to collaborate. It, you know, it's just the greatest thing to just, you know, get someone that, uh, you know, has something in common, just talk about that thing and just geek out about it. It's sort of the one of the greatest things about content creation when you get to share that with other people, not just the people watching, but someone in real time. It's, it's just really cool. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Definitely I agree. a lot of fun. And um, there's this is also it's kind of fun because each one of us actually uh, in, interesting between the three of us. I do a lot of the hardware stuff when it comes to some of the physical servers and setup. Uh, Jay, really strong background in DevOps and Tim being a software developer. If you work in a large company, we are the three personalities that exist to make that infrastructure work in the back end. Someone has to rack the drives and physically build the wiring and the servers. Someone has to do some uh, build automation to get those DevOps things set up. And then someone's got to write the software this all runs on. <laughs> Full stack right here. I like yeah, it. This is the full stack. That's what we should have called it. <laughs> you should probably mention Linode. Hmm. There you go. Yes. If you don't have uh, us three to set up your full stack, 
Linode does. You can get your home lab projects spun up very quickly, or maybe you just have a home lab project that's not suited for your environment because, you know, maybe you want it public facing. It's a great place to test everything. A lot of the projects we talk about here, Linode has been a longtime sponsor of the show. They have been, you know, where we host everything. So we're not just saying nice things about them because uh, they sponsor it, but literally because we use them. So if you listen to this podcast, it was literally downloaded from Linode servers. Uh, Jay is actually the one who maintains that in particular. Uh, so if it's not up and running, it's actually not Linode's fault. We can blame Jay. <laughs> but so far, and he's going to... That happened. I, I did break it once. It, Jay so. did break it once. We had a really fun incident. Um, one day, we'll do some debriefs on that. But nonetheless, Linode, we thank them for sponsoring the show. They've been great to us. And uh, we look forward to future sponsorships from them, too. So that's... Uh, we have an offer code to get you started. So head over to Linode.com slash the home lab show thanks we, we keep the so, ad read simple <laughs> and sometimes yeah, we like simple when we can <laughs> except for home lab we like to just overcomplicate everything because you know connecting 10 things to one thing to this thing to that thing is just awesome actually no we it's calculated and it's planned and there's a reason why everything's there so um we should probably talk about what the 100 days of home lab challenge actually is where people can go to uh, join up on this, how they do this and how they get started and um, try to get as many people in on this as we can. And by the way, I'm impressed with the number of people using the hashtag on Twitter. So I'm watching that grow exponentially. Yeah, I'm I'm blown away, too. Uh, my my Twitter has never been so active, <laughs> uh, you know, not that I have a, a lot of followers, but um, I try to interact with anybody. I, I try to meet people where they're at, whether they're on YouTube, Twitch, TikTok, t Twitter, anywhere. Uh, you know, I always try to respond, but man, it's it's kind of tough keeping up with Twitter the last couple of days. But but yeah, it's um so so the easiest way to get started is I I I built this website, um hundred days of home Uh it's actually self-hosted, it's built on top of open source. Uh I containerized it, I built it in my own home lab at home, and I self-host it uh out of my home lab in my Kubernetes cluster. So like and <laughs> end, end it's uh it's uh running uh in, within my my environment. Um and uh that's where you can go. It's uh it's it's just a brief overview of the of the three things that really I'm I'm just hoping people do. Uh, one, just commit to the challenge. Just say, yep, I can set aside, you know, one hour a day uh, for the next 100 days uh, to work on something in my home lab. Um, Tom, as you mentioned in the video, starting with a goal is is fantastic. Um, like, I totally agree. Um, that's a, that's a lot of where people get stuck is they don't know what to do There's because there's so many. And it, it's funny because in my early days, as I think I'd mentioned having a TRS-80, there was very little you could do with it. You got a book and you started to typing code because there was no websites in the 80s to go and copy it off of so you just started typing code so you're very very purpose driven but there was a narrow amount of things you can do now it's um analysis paralysis if you looked at all the projects but if you start with like i want to build uh something a web server a hundred days of home lab website or i want to host my movies internally or something like that you start with some of those goals and then everything will align itself around it essentially like okay i need storage i need compute i need these services to run i need to run plex or i want to run mb or any of the other uh, options that are out there yeah yeah i totally agree and i i uh i always i i always mention too like pick something you're passionate about because at the end of the day like that'll help uh encourage you to do something and, and it'll be much more rewarding at the end too. pick something you're you're passionate about because it'll you know you'll you'll learn along the way uh and then that's that's a carrot at the end too is is hey i, I did this thing that i i really like um 
And then, uh, so too, it's, it's publicly commit and you don't have to publicly commit. Uh, I know that people do or don't or like or dislike social networks, totally fine. Um, but we ask people if you are, Hey, Hey, share it. Um, I created a, a link on there that automatically creates a tweet for you and tweets it out. <laughs> so you don't even have to type anything. Um, well, and I think the commitment part is really important. It was something, you know, Jay was me and Jay started being friends a few years ago, but where we really started uh, being a little bit closer in terms of where we're aligned with creating content on YouTube was uh, I think sometimes a term you may hear in business is like an accountability partner. And it's just right. having more people in the community to encourage you to do things. And so me and Jay started doing that, which actually led to us meeting you. And now we have a group of us uh, YouTube creators. You notice that we all kind of share some of the other things wendell and uh in uh, veronica explains and you and a list of other youtubers we've all kind of gotten together and said uh, let's all talk about these things and encourage each other but also this is where that hunter lab uh, uh the home lab challenge comes in because uh, once you have more people willing to help you and kind of encourage you along the path, uh, people really are. If you have a question, just not me and Jay, but other than me and Jay, like other people are going, hey, let me help you get to your goal. Uh, what part didn't you understand? Or, hey, here's the command I use to make that work or solve that problem. Or here's the hardware I think works best with this. And hey, look, it's on sale. Here's a link. You know, there's that, that encouragement. Uh, it goes a long ways to getting people from feeling alone about getting started to being part of a community committed to it. And that's yeah, so yeah. important because it, you know, I've often felt like I'm on my, I'm in my own little world that's just segregated. Like I could be a, around like 50 people, but still kind of feel like I'm kind of on my own because my, I mean, they're talking about, I mean, a lot of people like sports, sports are awesome. It's just not my thing personally, but of course they're going to talk about those things and um, things they're passionate about, but having, hearing conversations in a crowd about, technology just doesn't happen very often so uh, tom and i go to PenguinCon, and it's like i feel like i could talk about i don't know randomly ssh i guarantee you probably a third at least of the crowd knows exactly what i'm talking about yeah. and then you get like-minded people you know in, in in content and um people realize you know that's actually a lot more popular and you know than i thought and how many people in a crowd are into technology and they don't even mention it because they assume that everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about. But for all they know, there could be several other fans there. So I feel like it's also kind of bringing this awesome geek stuff that we do into the mainstream. Like we have this hobby and it's fun and we're not as nerdy as we're, you know, as we are in the movies, we're actually kind of cool. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we do the technology thing and you could do that with us. Yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. That's a that's a good call out too. Like, um, you know, you do you do hear people talk about sports quite a bit, and uh, a team they're rooting for, or a team they don't like, or a neighboring team, or a rival team. I I feel like we have those kinds of conversations, um, either in Discord or wherever, uh, in in our own group uh, amongst brands and technologies too. Oh, yeah. You know, people root for you know t you know brand A or brand B, and I don't like brand A or brand B, but it's that same kind of rivalry you feel with sports. I feel that same way uh, when I talk to people about you know how I set thing something up or. I use 10 gig or I don't use 10 gig, you know, those kind of, those kind of rivalries and those, those, those uh, things that come up um, are, are one great learning experience, but two still, you know, connect people, uh, uh, you know, you know, uh, uh, across different experiences. So as much right. as, 
I, I'm not thrilled with the distro wars, which we can call it, but there is something fun about it. And the reason why is because when you're passionate about something or even myself, you know, I just did some videos recently on hypervisors and I talked about KVM and I talked about Zen and then I talked about Proxmox. And I talked about XCPNG in order for me to even get the Proxmox video. And one person was still upset that I did it all. He says I was not qualified to do Proxmox, which made me laugh. Um, but I said being video, you know, it took more research because I don't usually use Proxmox. I think it's a good solution. So I don't hate people that use it by any measure. Um, I'm on team XCPNG, but it forced me to learn deeper features I don't even use. It also forced me to learn deeper the other side. And I think that's sometimes where the rivalry comes in because you want to be right about your product. You want to be an advocate for the product or the distro or the editor that you use, uh, Vi versus Emacs. <laughs> but the... Um, it forces you into this competitiveness because they're like, I like it because it has this feature. And when someone says that, you're like, oh, but mine, I think, has that feature. Hold on. Let me read. <laughs> so I think that's actually yeah. some of the fun that comes out of it. Uh, it's it's not all bad. It's as long as you keep it um, lighthearted, if you will. But there's certainly um, I use Arch, by the way, kind of people. <laughs> so. We know it's another joke in our industry. Uh, but either way, I, in some bigger picture, it does make it kind of fun. And another thing I wanted to point out, point out too, is that this isn't always the case, obviously. Um, but there is a subset of people that work in IT that maybe they work in a small IT team. They could even be the only IT person, which I think should never be the case because you should never rely on just one person to maintain your infrastructure, right? That person never gets a vacation. But usually what happens is that it's, it feels like you against the world because you have to maintain the servers for the company and do the best thing. And other people in the company really don't know what you're talking about. So if you want to talk to a coworker about the best way to tune the TCP IP stack, they're going to look at you like, I work in accounting, <laughs> you know, but then when you have, but with, when it comes to home lab, there's no shortage of people to talk about. And you could literally um, build a some, at least somewhat equivalent system like work, or maybe just set up the same software on your side and then try to, you know, experiment with it. Then you might have a colleague that's also a home app fan that you just chat with online. And they're like, yeah, did you have ever try X? Because that would totally eliminate like a couple layers of your setup. And then you start to realize that the stuff that you do for home lab, if you do this for a living, can go to work and then help you be more you know, proficient there. Or if you don't have a job in IT, it could totally help you get your um, foot in the door. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And um, just to just to kind of expand on that a little bit about you know sharing information with people, something I've noticed too in in home lab, especially just you know over the last couple of years, is people are willing to share how they solve stuff too. Like people kind of want this this platform to talk about what they did and why they did it, how they solved a particular problem, and oh by the way, here's all of the code or documentation on how to do that too, and it's. It's fantastic. Um, so, you know, through that, uh, over the last couple of years, you know, I feel like I'm working on this, this bigger team, you know, this bigger team than I've had, you know, the 10 years prior, because I've been doing it for a long time. You know, after college, I had this old, crusty computer that was like already 10 years old that was in my basement. And that was, you know, my first home lab computer. Um, and it was me figuring out stuff by myself for 10 years. And then eventually it was like, well, people started asking me how I, how I did this or how's my blog at home or how did, what network, you know, equipment do you use? 
you know, and, and now it's to the point where there are communities built around this, even, even shows and channels built around this where people can share these ideas. And it's, it's just great. I mean, I feel like we're all, we're all in this together. And, and on top of that, like standing on the shoulders of giants, like, like you two, <laughs> you know, we have these great channels uh, that are um, putting out great content of how to do things. And people really, really study those guides and take it, you know, word for word. Uh, but at the same time, if they deviate from from a standard, they'll they'll be sure and tell you why and how they did it and why they did it. Um, and I just feel like, man, the last couple of years have been been fantastic uh, for home life for me personally, uh, just because, you know, getting into it with content, but at the same time, discovering this like huge community around it. I feel like I'm on this team of like a thousand <laughs> and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, for all of its flaws, uh, YouTube has been a in the big picture, a overall great place to share a lot of this knowledge. There's a lot of different communities, not just home lab, you know, it's greater than that, but uh, in amongst the people sharing different technology ideas, putting them together, including a lot of cybersecurity people like my friend, John Hammond. Uh, he does a lot of deep dives on reverse engineering and things like that. So if, even if you somewhat wander a little bit out of home lab and come back over to things like the cybersecurity side of it because it's a you know fast growing market that needs more people in it uh, it's been a great facilitator having all these different videos available to you like the library of knowledge uh that you can watch for almost free you do have to watch some stupid repetitive ads <laughs> so that, right. it's a, but that's a pretty minor uh inconvenience in, in comparison to what you know a, a college career costs to learn a lot of these same things <laughs> and your friend john sounds pretty nice but if he ever says anything about opening up a park please stop him Don't i know that. <laughs> being an it guy named john hammond i mean come on <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised his handle isn't like Jurassic John or something like that. <laughs> you know, you may as well have fun with it, right? Yeah, um, that's, just that's own fun. it. You, you've been named that. It's just. <laughs> I, I think um, it's interesting to hear how people got started with Home Lab, and maybe we could kind of do that. I, I feel like how I started. I'm just going to make a guess, like probably one, what, one third of Home Lab is, um, you know, bands that have started this way, and this is going to be extremely common. Um, I started because I was studying for a certification, actually certifications. I've had several of those. And, you know, when I was looking into how to get a certification in IT, usually people will say, well, you could just download this emulator and it just perfectly matches the real switch hardware and all this. And you could just install it on your computer and learn that way. And then I remember thinking, why would I want to install an emulator? Like if I'm running Nintendo games, I'm totally fine with that. But I don't want to emulate hardware. Give me the hardware. And I would just go on eBay and I would just buy some really old devices and then just start playing with them because it was just so much better to get started um, or to, to study for a certification when you have your hands on the thing. And then from there, it's like, oh, I could run a file server. I could, you know, have virtual machines running and then just kind of um, spiraled out of control. And here we are today. <laughs> You know, the thing that really got me started, and I, I've posted it before, maybe I'll do a dedicated video, because people always ask me, like, uh, what is some of the old servers? And my oldest server was, um, is before I was even using Monowall, I think it would have been probably a Mandrake, a Mandrake firewall. Ooh. It was a Linux firewall from like 2000, so 20, over 22 years ago. But I used to run a series of Unreal Tournament servers. So I had to have a firewall that had the capabilities to handle the, all the different servers that I had set up. And, uh, you know, I rigged it 
together quite a bit, but it's where you really start learning. And it made me learn more about hosting, setting up Linux servers, because oddly, Unreal Tournament 20 something years ago ran on Linux servers. The ser you know, even though it was a Windows uh, for playing a game, it was because gaming in Linux was non existent 20 years ago. It's, it's taken a long time for uh, that world to change. But it was a lot of learning I had to do, and it really got me into Linux from a hosting perspective. I mean, I was already a mail server administrator in, in like 2000. But I'm it, so sorry. I know. I know. <laughs> I tell you, you will never learn as much as when you are a mail server administrator and on a Usenet post trying to learn uh, proc mail recipes to stop the latest spam. That was my early days. <laughs> So, but you know, that, that was what I did for a day job. And then I took it all that knowledge home to actually do it. Cause I, I was among the first to have a cable modem in my area where you could actually host things. So it was, uh, wild times. Yeah. Um, Fun times you know. and unreal tournament. I, yeah, absolutely. That was one of my first, um, journeys into networking is just getting two computers on the LAN when I first started to just, I want this game to, to work in, between these two computers and, it took hours, you know, because when you're first starting out, you don't know how to do this stuff. And it's so alien to you. You're kind of just like reading and hoping and just it's almost like you're just trying random things, hoping something is actually going to make it do the thing you're hoping it's going to end up doing. Then you break it, of course, and then you fix it. And eventually it works. Yeah, I think for a lot is. of people, the gaming is, is, a, is a big start. Because even the Generation Day, I mean, what do you want to do? You want to host your Minecraft server because uh, that's more popular if you're among that age group where my son's at. Unfortunately, he hasn't seemed to taken an interest in hosting it he actually had one of my staff set it up <laughs> so that but it, he was smart enough to know to ask someone <laughs> but uh you know i it's still starting with the goal starting with something in your head like this is what i would like to do you know then the hardware uh, i seen someone post in in the chat they had like an old r710 which is a pretty dated system but still very capable of uh getting something done but they said you know what to do with it well come back to you know is there a server or a service you'd want to host and if you even talk about the Raspberry Pi, uh, well, you need to have Jeff Gearling on sometime because he is the Raspberry Pi king. Um, and Jay has quite a few of them, too, though. Uh, there's, you know, you start with something really simple like that. and You can build all kinds of extensive things. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny you mentioned, Jay, uh, uh, starting out with games. Uh, that's kind of, I think, my first networking foray. You know, uh, my brother and I wanted to play NBA Live 98 or something on our PCs. And I, I had no idea. Like, I wasn't even that much into computers. Like, I, I, I understood them, but I had one. You know, I, was, I wasn't tech yet. <laughs> and uh, I remember just spending hours upon hours of, like, trying to figure out how to set a static IP address on a Windows 98 machine. I had a hub. It wasn't even a switch at the time. It was a hub, you know, and, and configuring two static IPs and getting them to communicate. I mean, it took hours. It took hours. But I remember, I vividly remember, you know, network cables drawn through his bedroom to my bedroom and the hub in the middle because we didn't have long enough cables <laughs> and uh, getting it working and just seeing the hub lights flash. And I, I honestly, I, I cried a little bit, <laughs> not joking, because I was just like so happy that I had figured this out, you know, this 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 magic, you know, of networking. And then we could play, mm -hmm. you know, NBA Live 98 together, you know, even though we were sitting in two different rooms. but. Yeah, that was my very first like networking experience besides, you know, plugging in, you know, a, a phone cord and a modem and, you know, anything like that. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely that. And then that, I think that's what that's what was that's what lit the you know spark uh, that that started the flame that 
then I started realizing, oh, I could, if I hit two computers, I could, you know, do this, <laughs> you know, yeah. but it wasn't until a couple of years later where, where I actually had one that was dedicated. It wasn't my main machine. Once I had a second computer that wasn't my main machine, that's, that's when it really took off because then, you know, I, I you know, I stood up Windows Active Directory to figure that out, stood up Linux to figure that out. Uh, then I started thinking like, hey, I want my own blog and, you, you know, use Dyn DNS for my blog for years because like, this is awesome. I can get dynamic DNS and uh, people see content I write. And, uh, you know, it just it just spiraled from there. But uh, for me, yeah. yeah, definitely it was it was a very, very uh, uh, re related to gaming and, and getting, you know, two machines networking. It sounded like such a geek. My, I think my brother remembers that I, I cried, but <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I yeah. think I did. There tears of joy. Totally fine. Um, it, you know, the thing is, you mentioned, you know, talking about gaming, um, it's one of two moments before the certification thing that kind of like really got me into technology. Um, video games was the first. I grew up without a computer till I was like 18 or 19. Before I had my first computer, I'm not even kidding. We, we couldn't afford it. It just wasn't ever going to happen. So computers to me were like this miraculous thing that only the rich people could afford no i was just substantially poor it wasn't that at all but in my eyes it was like only the wealthy people can have a computer so i remember as a young teenager actually i might have been 11 or 12 i'm walking down the street i must have been very outgoing i see this truck and this guy getting out of the truck and inside the back of the truck was like a mountain of computer parts like cases and just like it looks like he's salvaging computers i'm like what's up with the computer parts and he was like, oh yeah, I I uh, get parts and I build computers. I'm like, you can build computers, and, and I was thinking before that that um, <clears throat> you know computers are something that can only come out of the factory. I didn't have any exposure to buying a part and putting it into a computer. I've never seen that before. So the whole concept that this individual was able to do that was huge. And then later on, I became very angry as a few years later because. I was a huge Final Fantasy fan, and Squaresoft of Japan decided that Americans are not to have Final Fantasy V. And there was a whole bunch of drama about that. And I remember going to a friend's house who had a computer, which was amazing, and he was playing Final Fantasy V in English. I'm like, how in the heck are you playing a game in English that was never released here? And he says, well, I, I have this ROM, and there's this translation patch that people got together to work on. I'm like, okay, so... People just didn't sat weren't satisfied or not satisfied. People weren't just accepting of the fact they're never going to get this game. They decided to translate it themselves, work together, solve the problem, and just release it for free. So, yeah, I'm playing it right now. I'm like, oh my god! And then that was the time I realized that collaboration in tech is super powerful, and we could solve problems that companies can't solve. And then from there, I just became more and more and more obsessed. And the rest is history. So it's interesting you mentioned games because that was just such a moment for me that I was able to play a game that the company decided that I should not be able to play. Yeah, the, the, the other aha moment for me was, you know, again, I didn't get a computer until later in my life. We, we, we bought a Commodore 64, uh, Commodore 64 when I was older from a garage sale. And that was our computer, but it was already 10 years old, but it was still awesome to me. But like my other aha moment, very, very uh, relatable to what you said was, you know, when, it, when I went to college, my, my, my PC didn't have a, a, a network card in it. They just didn't have them at the time. Uh, and I, I had no idea. I, I was the same way. I was like, what, what do I do now? And uh, they were like, 
you know, you can just buy one uh, for however much, forget what it was, and then ask someone to put it in. I was like, how the heck do you put this thing in? Like, there's, there's no way I'm not qualified to do this, you know? <laughs> and I asked my RA at the time, at, you know, Rodney, I was like, Rodney, can you, can you help me out real quick? You know about computers. And I saw he, he had, you know, the, a cart full of computers in his, in his dorm room. Uh, and uh, he opened it up, put the cart in, you know, and I saw how easy it was. And that's when I was like, never again, <laughs> like I can do this by myself. Uh, but that was, yeah, I agree. It was, uh, I, I was blown away when I, when I learned you can, you know, uh, customize and expand computers too. It was, uh, it was another aha moment for me where I was like, okay, I can do this by myself now. Um, then there was lots of tinkering along the way in college because I was in the dorm rooms and I could do whatever I want. But yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, Let's go forward a little bit because you go from I'm not qualified to having some really solid Kubernetes and hyperconverged uh, infrastructure videos yep. that I've been watching. Uh, you covered Harvester, which is really cool. A few people have asked me about it, and I just simply replied, I did watch your video on it, and I think it's really cool. Um, and there's some complexities to some of these, but uh, what brought you all the way? Because you do, is, is it your day job that you do a lot of Kubernetes, or is that a, more of a hobby? <laughs> oh, uh, yes. <laughs> um yes i'd say uh so what what brought me to to kubernetes um it, it was really um so so i you know i've worked at different companies i've i've um i don't want to say bounced around because it sounds like the wrong term but i've i've moved to different companies uh and along the way those companies have been using kubernetes when i first started i i had no idea but i was on a team where where we were building software and the way to get that software uh, into their production environment was to put it in a container. So, um, you know, I was on a newer team, we were building a newer project. So I said, we're, we're going to take the newer platform at this environment and we're going to put our code inside of containers and we're going to ship it into this thing called Kubernetes or however you pronounce it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we're going to play this game uh, because that's the, it seems like the easiest way to get our code into production. So I learned about it a, a lot at that company. Um, but then, you know, after I, I left and I, I had my home lab, I, you know, I, I, I write software outside of work too. You know, I write tons of little, you know, websites, bots, yeah. just fun things. And uh, I wanted that same pipeline. Like I wanted to be able to write code, put it in a container and put it in production, my production in minutes automatically and not touch anything. And so that's where I was like, I'm going to try Kubernetes at home. I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds complicated. Uh, but I'm going to do it at home. Uh, and it was all like driven from this, me wanting to get, you know, repeatable code into production uh, as fast as possible. And, um, you know, not have to mess with the, 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 the alternative ways is, you know, write my code and then maybe SSH and put that inside of some, you know, service and restart that service and then have that spin up. And so I, I, I you know, I, I, I adopted a lot of things I learned at work and applied them to my home lab. But then at the same time, I then learned, uh, you know, exponentially more about Kubernetes working at home that now I can apply to work. It's like this, you know, this, this, this cycle, this feedback loop of, I want to learn something. I do it at home. I found out something awesome. I can apply it at work. Oh, I learned this at work. So I'm going to apply it at home, <laughs> you know, and it, yep. it's this, this awesome feedback loop. So, um, you know, I do do some Kubernetes stuff at work. Even today, I work at a small startup, a really awesome startup, and it's it's pretty awesome. We we all wear many hats. Uh, part of that is is Kubernetes. A large part of that is writing code, but it could be many other things too. So, you know, it's a little bit of DevOps. It's it's uh, software engineering. It's you name it. Uh, you know, uh, any title you can think of, we do uh, to 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 
you know, have, you know, services out there and running, um, even some networking and stuff, even some tech support at some point in time. It's, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty great going uh, back to a smaller company and, and wearing all these hats that I, I, I kind of wear in my home lab too. So it's, it's pretty fun, but, but well, it's uh, yeah. be such a great feeling to work for such a company because it's sometimes like some companies just see technology as the thing they have to do that they don't want to do, but we just kind of have to do the technology thing, darn it. And then you have companies that are all about it. And I think working for a company that um, lives and breathes technology is exactly the type of company that's, that a individual that lives and breathes technology needs to work for in order to be happy because if you can't work for a company that hates technology. It just doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. And we we are a technology company too, so that, that kind of helps that, you know, our, our product, our our digital products so it, yeah. it it really helps but yeah it's 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 allowed me to to grow and explore uh so many things i wouldn't have time to at home and vice versa at home then i learn all of these things and i can apply them at work i think you know monthly or something and at least monthly i i pick up a few things at home that i you know i get to to try at work and vice versa i learned so much at work too because you know it's really focused on you know uh, uh, having a solid you know dependable highly available service for, you know, millions of customers, you know, I get to apply some of those principles at home. I know I don't have to, you know, I'm not serving out millions of customers at home, you know, handfuls, dozens maybe, but, uh, but still I get to, you know, absorb some of that knowledge uh, and, you know, kind of pick and choose and apply that to stuff at home. It's, it's great. <laughs> I, I think an important aspect too, and this is something me and Jay have talked about, and there's a lot of others uh, on YouTube and I'm loving seeing this. We're not people who read this from a book, stood it up in a lab, and that's it. We've showed you the basics on how to get it going. You gain a lot of knowledge deploying these things out in the field. I've always liked that uh, old adage, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. And you can, you can read the book, you can get it all stood up, but actually servicing things at scale, you run into lots of quirks. One of the things you had mentioned in one of your videos was you talk about things like disk pressure and because you have to think about performance and everyone, you know, they want the magic of hyper-converged infrastructure and high availability replicated storage with something like Longhorn. But you're like, by the way, to actually make that work and get the IOPS you want, you need some incredible mm -hmm. hardware. And there's sometimes design considerations because there's always budget considerations, which are driving design considerations. Because uh, sometimes people say, well, why don't you have this configured hyper-converge so it's magically replicated? I'm like, because that cost IOPS, that cost the interconnects between have to be well, they become the weakest link in the number of IOPS you want to get, but that's not something you think about from a lab standpoint. That's something you know when 10,000 people, 20,000, 100,000, and keep scaling up are using your product and it's online facing. You go, oh, I don't have the database uh, activity at home I do in this production environment to, I can see where everything's stretched thin. I mean, it sounded great to replicate it. That can't actually be replicated at the speed the data comes in because I didn't plan enough or I didn't have the budget to build the interconnect. So speak to that just a little bit of what some, some of those learning lessons. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I think there are lots of lessons along the way when, when building any kind of system, a lot of people I've noticed uh, gravitate towards the stuff that I do. That's highly available. I, you guys probably see this yeah. too. Whenever you mention something that's highly available, fault tolerant, people are really interested in that because, you know, having something that's highly available means more uptime, but it also introduces a lot of complexity, <laughs> a lot of complexity that I've either stumbled into, figured out on my own, or um, <laughs> didn't read along the way and figured out myself. Um, but it is, it is, it is tough. Um, 
you know, you know, for instance, um, you know, people always want, uh, you mentioned disk pressure, you know, people want this, this magic solution. That's like, Hey, let's, let's spin up a Kubernetes cluster. Let's throw 30, you know, 30 containers inside of there. Each of those containers are two, three, four hundred megabytes, or even maybe gigs. And then all of a sudden Kubernetes says, you know, I have disk pressure warnings. People are like, why do yeah. I have disk pressure warnings? That's just a warning basically saying, Hey, Kubernetes disks are running out of space. We're not going to do anything else until you clean some stuff up. Otherwise, Kubernetes won't run. Um, it's probably a little more technical than that, but you know, um, you know, you kind of have to <laughs> plan some of these things out. Uh, some of them you'll discover along the way, but you know, um, when you started getting into things that are highly available, you got to think about all kinds of things. I, I didn't even think about you know load balancers. Uh, uh, preventing like split brain scenarios, uh, keeping, you know, uh, services up. Um, if you have stateful services, you know, those can't really be scaled well. Uh, when I say stateful services, one, one of the, uh, going back to home lab, one of the things people like to host a lot is, is, is like Plex and Plex, you know, isn't designed to be scaled. You know, it's designed right. to run as one. You run two, you run into a split brain scenario where one thinks it's, you know, the one that has all of the data and then another thinks it has all of the data. And then so sometimes when you send those to that traffic to individual services or pods, uh, each one thinks it's it's the one that should be running and doesn't know about the other. <laughs> and so a lot of times people think like, hey, if, I, if I'm running Kubernetes, you know, I have Plex. I'm just going to run five instances of Plex because I want it to be highly available. It doesn't work that way. You know? right. <laughs> These systems have to be architected and designed in a way that they they can be highly available, which means if you can make them stateless and put your state somewhere else, like in a database or somewhere else to where these, these pods are, 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 I don't want to say dumb, but they're, they're stateless to where they, they don't know about each other. Uh, and the only way they do is from some other service or, or database or something else out there. And so those are the kind of things I, I run into a lot. Um, things that, you know, I, I've had to learn along the way, you know, I, I have very simple, even code I write that I, I don't think up front, like, Hey, I, I need to scale this service. You know, I go to scale it and I'm like, oh crap, I, I didn't, <laughs> you know, I have local, you know, account of something in memory. And now I, that count only exists inside of that one service. So I can't scale this service until I rethink about it. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the same goes with storage too. A lot of people, um, you know, think, uh, uh, I, I mean, Longhorn, I, th I think is pretty awesome. Ceph's pretty yeah. awesome. Rook is another, uh, another way to get, uh, it's basically, it's, Kind of complicated even for me to think about because I'm I haven't done a ton of stuff in storage. Um, I've done some, <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, Longhorn is this way to get um, highly available block storage inside of your cluster. So so basically, you can have uh, it's they it's kind of hyper converged to where the storage is floating around inside of your Kubernetes cluster, just using up available extra storage on all your nodes. It's pretty cool. Because you can replicate that across all of your your nodes, your servers, um, and then if one goes down, they can just point all of your services to the other place and then re-replicate on another one. And Rook does that same thing, which is based on Ceph. I don't have a, I haven't done a ton in Ceph, but you know, it's that that same idea where you can replicate storage to a Ceph cluster using Rook. But you know, storage is another thing where even simple things like NFS, like people are like I want highly available NFS. I'm like 
I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have no idea. Have any idea how to do that. <laughs> I was going to mention because 45 drives is in here. Maybe they're still watching. Uh, they have some really good topics um, where they dive deep into Seth, but we're a 45 drives partner. So, you know, when I'm not doing YouTube things, my business hat is on, we are building solutions for clients. And someone asked when we built our petabyte storage server for one of our clients, like, Oh, Tom, I can't believe you didn't use Seth. And I'm like, why would I even the 45 drives consulting team, They'll, they don't start with the most complicated solution. You build up to the solution and no more. You want to be able to support this. Uh, it's actually supported on TrueNAS with their internal team that we provide this for. TrueNAS is easy for them to manage. And the adding Ceph as a layer on top of it would serve no purpose other than a layer of complexity. So it's, it's weird how many people ask me those same questions because there's always those second guessers when you do make a video. Why would you do it that way, Tom? Modern file systems all use Ceph as if Ceph is an actual file system as opposed to a distributed way. And it's like, look, it's ZFS in the back end. We only need to present it as an SMB. They're just dumping data sets for a system to process data sets uh, to cal do calculations. Like, I don't know where Ceph fits into um, this workload that they have because it just it's i think they have um eight compute nodes that just look at smb data across an smb share process it and give output that's it <laughs> i know where to go for storage questions it's tom all the time <laughs> yeah, yeah i do it all the time myself on my end i've yeah, and tom can tell you i've had some very interesting problems that only i can find because i have this <laughs> ability to find issues that other people are uh, like, how did you run into that exactly like <laughs> Jay and his NFS stale file handle problem you had. Um, I, th I think we were, that was one of them we troubleshot a while ago. Well, I never but solved it. I thought I did. And the issue was that um, for whatever reason, like I was switching to everything to Flatpak. I really like Flatpak. I, I, but, you know, I started uh, my Ansible scripts would remove the dev package for Firefox and install the Flatpak, for example. Same with Thunderbird and the other things. And then um, what I would notice is that Firefox would lose the ability to upload files. Like you could click upload like a YouTube video, right? And then the file picker dialog comes up. You select the video that you want to upload. You click OK, nothing happens. It's like it never got the request. And there's errors in the logs, a bunch. So it's not like I didn't know what it what it was saying. And then I traced it down to, you know, something Flatpak related. Like, and I still to this day... I had to stop using Flatpak for Firefox and Thunderbird because something that I'm doing basically makes Firefox useless. It would randomly work, randomly stop working when it comes to uploading files. There'd be like XDG document portal errors all over the place. And I'm like Googling for this. And it's like, am I really the only person running into this? I could wipe my machine and just, you know, continue to uh, and set it up. And what I, the only thing I could think to blame is that it's expecting something to always be mounted. And because I'm using NFS that auto mounts, um, it, it just really kind of it gets confused with open file handles. I mean, these are only problems that somebody gets to at the end of the home lab journey, right? Because it, it, I mean, usually most people are fine to just take the dev package of Firefox or whatever and just call it a day. But oh no, I have to go a different direction. And because I go that other direction, I find bugs that, and I find them everywhere. So yeah. I mentioned to Tom, like you use Flatpak, can you just like open up a file? Does it work? <laughs> oh, it does. How does that work? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned NFS and problems because I, I run into them too. And they're ones that I've just discovered along the way. Like I, I, I love NFS. So like it works great, but there are some use cases where it doesn't really work well. One that I always run into is like with SQLite databases. I haven't really figured it out, but it's sometimes in containers, if you mount your storage over NFS, like 
SQLite databases like write some kind of lock file and it can't read that over NFS. And so things don't work. And so, yeah, those are definitely the things you'll explore along the way. And sometimes, like you mentioned, at the end of your home lab journey, you know, I have people who, you know, spin up NFS and then they get their containers going and then they mount all of their, you know, they, they build up all their infrastructure to get this going and they, they plan on NFS being their storage of choice for their containers and then realize, hey, this container uses SQLite and I can't do it over an NFS. So yeah, those are those are definitely the fun ones to figure out. And sometimes yeah. you figure them out really late in the game, like you mentioned. Uh, I made sure to mention, because, uh, you know, Windows, I have to deal with that a lot in my uh, day job. <laughs> but um, when I did my true NAS file permission videos, one of the things I covered is you probably got the permissions right, but Windows hasn't learned that you got them right. So you have to log in and out of Windows. People were telling me you shouldn't have to do that. I said, oh, I can agree with you all right. day that if I adjust a permission in true NAS, Windows should reread the permission of that file. But I will tell you that it doesn't all the time. And I don't know what circumstances it does or does not. But I know if you log in and out of Windows, it then reads the permissions again when it reconnects um, because true NAS is usually not part of, unless it is, but it's usually not part of an Active Directory domain. Um, there is still a lot to that. And having storage persistence is, um, like you even said, when you're spinning up these Kubernetes, it, if they spin up before the storage is attached, now they don't know what to do either. So it's it's very uh, critical to getting all of this automation set up and making sure that these things work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, t I totally agree. Uh, Kubernetes, though, is, is kind of nice because it'll, well, <laughs> the Kubernetes way is basically crash and restart until things work <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so it, it's, yep. it, it's it's part of kubernetes you know like if, if storage isn't there it's going to say okay exit crash start again is it there and it'll do that over and over i mean eventually it'll start like backing off but uh yeah I, i've been there many times with my containers i probably have a few in my own environment right now that are in a, in a crash loop but that's uh that's that's par for the course for kubernetes could even be a race condition right because i'm hey, sure you run into that many times too yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, hey, like, uh, yeah, a database connection it needs is not there or it is there or I wrote some code that's, you know, supposed to be asynchronous and I didn't do it right. And it's, you know, waiting on a database connection. Yeah, been there. I, I think it was there last night with something I was working on. Yeah. My um, personal yeah, favorite is when it checks for the storage before the storage layer actually came up. So you have to kind of go in and, you know, give one a timeout. So it kind of just waits longer. <laughs> so one has a chance to come in and if, and so there's better ways, obviously, of uh, having things start up in a certain order, but that, yeah, so many times. Like, I've been there. Then DNS. Like, we could, I mean, we could complain about DNS. <laughs> DNS is its own episode. <laughs> it is. It is. It's, uh, I love it and hate it at the same time. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, we so, were, I need to do a video on it because that's literally what we were, my, my team was chasing some crazy um, web DNS from a client we just took over. The, there's there's so much to it and i'm like ah like sometimes you rely on me for some of the really esoteric complicated things all i know is if you look up dns security trails you can find some dns history and sometimes what you have to do when you take over a client and everyone let everything expire you need to rebuild dns from scrapping on the internet to figure out where everything used to be <laughs> there's a whole topic there <laughs> yeah i mean there's a lot of we could even have a rant episode, but we won't. We're not. Yeah, doing that. we won't. We're not we just could, here to rant. We, we're absolutely not going to do that, though. <laughs> it's too easy that. to commiserate because we're, we're all mad at DNS. <laughs> so what one? So I think in you know getting back to the 100 days of home lab thing, because um, I definitely want to make sure that you know we we get people on that because it's really a great way to get started with this and 
it's such an amazing idea. Like, like, yeah, it yeah. really, it really is an amazing idea. And some people out there might be, you know, still hesitant to get started. And I say, just, just start. Like, like Tom says, you do have to have a goal. Yes. But you could also just install some random Linux distribution on a computer in your closet that you're just not going to use anyway. And of course, yeah, I could probably break the install and have to redo it a few times. I mean, just do something. That way you're kind of like getting into the habit of doing something or just kind of like installing Linux if that's where you're going to go. Um, and just kind of like get your hands on it. And I feel like if you spend too much time, you know, deliberating over what to do, then you could just probably end up never doing it at the same time. But like Tom says, you still do need a goal eventually, but got to get started. Yeah, well, yeah. I, oh, oh, go ahead, Tom. I, I want to comment real quick, though. Uh, me and Jay, we just covered this in episode, uh, the episode before this one, so episode 58. We talked about using some of the hardware, um, the random things, like even broken laptops. One of, one of my staff had a, a laptop with a smashed screen. That was one of his servers for some project he had at home for a while because he didn't want any, like we have plenty of stuff at the office to play with because we have a pretty big lab environment at the office that all my staff gets to play with. But, you know, having some of these broken laptops, like, yeah, it took, he took it home. He's like, cool, I can run a few things on here and it's quiet it doesn't you know by the way it has a built-in battery in it so right. if the power goes it's out you know it's uh it already has a ups yeah. <laughs> so. the ups and a kvm because it's got a screen and a keyboard mouse on there yeah, so you yeah, literally yeah. have a self-composed server environment yeah yeah <laughs> i totally agree and uh yeah so, so the 100 days of home lab stuff yeah so i appreciate it yeah i i, I I've been, like I said, noodling on it for a long time. Uh, I know that some people, you know, are, 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 are don't know how to get started, don't know where to get started. I, I honestly think even if you say, hey, day one is planning and that's totally fine, too. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be hands on. A big part of having a home lab or building systems is design and planning. So day one could just be thinking about it planning it, you know, setting aside some time to document or diagram or explore or read. I mean, that's, that's totally fine too. It doesn't always have to be hands-on, you know, and I, I think it, then if you just do that daily, you know, it could become a habit. Um, you know, I, I work at, I've worked at companies where we have these daily standups. And so I'm treating my one tweet a day, like my daily standup, like, Hey, here, here's what I'm working on, or here's the challenges I'm faced with today. Um, you know, and here's how I'm going to solve it, you know, and, and stand up, we usually do that and, and scrum, you know, they, they do that a lot. Like, Hey, what did you work on yesterday? what did you work on today? Do you have any roadblocks or any challenges that you need help with? And yep. I'm, <laughs> I'm treating this hashtag as one big scrum for everyone in home lab, you know, <laughs> uh, treating it like one big scrum, because I, I think it's important to just get in the habit of like, uh, focusing on what you want to accomplish for the day, um, saying, here's how you're going to tackle it. And then hopefully, you know, the next day it's something you tackled or, or finished or completed and you're on to the next thing. If not, that's totally okay. On day two, you could be working on the same thing from day one. You could be working on that in day 90, you know, and that's another thing too. Like some people are asking like, Hey, do, do I start with you? And no, you don't have to start with me. If I was on day 100 and you started on day one, I would love it because that means that this is living on. <laughs> this is going, this is bigger than my hundred days. It's, 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 it's someone's hundred days you know, in a year, it's someone hundred days, you know, six months ago. Um, and you can see that along the way. So yeah, no, no pressure to start on day one and you didn't miss the train. The train I hope will be leaving every day <laughs> and it yep. didn't leave on the day that my train left. Your train could leave next week. Your train could leave next, you know, next year. Um, but I, I hope that people will join. Yeah. People listening to this episode have could check off a day. <laughs> That's yeah. right. An hour, you know, That's right. 
it this was almost my day four. Your days. <laughs> yeah, it was almost my day four, but I was like, okay, I, I'll. Uh, <laughs> I did retweet it, but uh, it was almost my day four. Then I backed up and deleted the tweet, and then I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll just say, hey, I'm going to be on the show. My day four. I, I, I mean, I could even say here, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, more. So day four for me <laughs> of 100 days of home lab. Uh, what was it? Uh, Flux updates. So I, I run Flux. Uh, there were some Flux updates. I've been kind of pushing it down the road, but updating my Flux, which is kind of coordinates my Kubernetes. It's 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 so meta, but so awesome once you once you do it. Um, and then uh, I, I I created a a bot uh, that I wrote some code for that that runs the retweets on 100 Days of Home Lab Twitter. Uh, and I got that into production. I just need to do some logging and make sure that it stays alive so it's my day four is uh is doing that i want to mention too in case anyone's not on twitter twitter for all its faults it can be problematic don't follow problematic and don't click on whatever's trending because it's going to be stupid unless it's the 100 days of home lab that's trending you can follow that um but uh, feel free to participate in there i've seen people trying to avoid certain platforms and things like that but i found twitter to not be too bad um any social media can turn into a social distraction but if you keep your uh vision focused on there and narrow and just ignore that whole, you know what? That's what we need. There's probably a, a web browser plugin that just removes the trending. Cause every time I look, I'm like, I, I want to click on that. Cause it's, it's following, like I want it, but I know it's going to be stupid. Like I know it's going to be something that's not going to be useful to me. It's certainly not going right. to be tech related. <laughs> so, yeah. But a lot of people might be interested in what Kim Kardashian is doing. I'm personally not interested in what she's up to these days. So exactly. trending is just oh, not going to be something for me. So okay. or I, I see someone in the chat scene. So Dunkel says, Twitter is the least worst. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's a that's a good point too because it's it's not only Twitter. So this hashtag, obviously, a lot of social places support hashtags. Use it anywhere. Text your friend. You could yeah. text your friend and say, "This is my day four. And if that friend is is holding you accountable, that's awesome. Um, and and also, and and not to just plug a Discord, but we do have a channel dedicated to this exactly yeah. this. Some people. Don't want to do social networks, but they're totally fine with chat clients. And we created a channel where everyone has their own thread on their hundred days, and people are actually participating. And it's yep. really awesome. Our mods thought of that. I was like, "This is this is great. This solves the problem." Um, and if you still want to text your friend with a hashtag, you absolutely can. Yeah, you can go as basic as text. Is a little more complicated to Discord or go all the way to Twitter. Uh, there's a lot of different options on here. So, absolutely. So yeah, right. that was awesome. I, I don't have anything. I mean, I feel like I could talk about home lab like forever. Forever. But, but we I don't do have, have forever. to say that if we <laughs> talk for more than 10 more minutes, there's gonna be sweat like pouring down my face because the studio heats up quick. But yeah, um, man, I feel I would still wish we could have like a two-hour episode chatting about this. I'd love to come back. So I, I yeah. think that's a segue, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to come back. Thank you so much for, for having me. I've looked up to you guys for, for years. Like I said, years, even before I started my own YouTube stuff, I, I'd go to you, I'd go to Linux for, I go to Jay for Linux and I go to Tom for a storage and PFSense and TrueNAS or it was, you know, it was <laughs> FreeNAS so at the time, but I, yeah, yeah. you know, I, and I refer to you guys' channels all the time. I, I And it's not just lip service. I, I know, you know, when people ask about certain topics, I'm not as educated on, I'm like, go to Tom. He wrote the book on well, it. You know, go to Jay. Absolutely has a, 
you know, a very focused, you know, uh, tutorial on how to do exactly what you're looking for. <laughs> no, yeah, it's interesting I, when I think that, that uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I, was saying, I think it's really important. I mean, YouTube is a very, I, I never see it because I've seen some people that uh, have this in their head, other uh, creators or when they first get started thinking it's a competitive space like business, but it's much the opposite because even business isn't that competitive a lot of times. It's more about collaborative. And once you understand that, in like I said at the very beginning, we're the full stack between three of us. When you work in these environments, no one person knows everything. I, I don't know time to be a Kubernetes expert and a TrueNAS expert. I mean, you watch my ZFS, which by the way, I'm wearing my Colta ZFS shirt. <laughs> um, but if you watch my ZFS is a cow video, like there, once you really take the time to understand ZFS, you're like, wow, it's a really complicated topic. I'm like, yeah, at some point my head's so full of that. I don't got time for Kubernetes. <laughs> yeah, I just no, watch Techno yeah. Tim's video and follow the instructions. It's kind of weird a, to me when, you know, the whole... I don't want to call it popularity because when I think of popularity, I think of like, you know, a recording artist that gets millions of plays or something. That's what popular means to me. But it's interesting. Like I'll go on a Linux group and I'll just um, make a simple comment. Like, yeah, I agree. That's a great distro. Right. And then there's like a bunch of shocked faces. I'm like, what's wrong with people? Like, was my comment just agreeing that I also like that distribution such a weird thing to say that it that people are shocked and it just keeps racking up these surprise faces and i'm like <laughs> oh right right they recognize me from the thing and i swear to god no matter how much time has passed that never normalizes i never expect that i never I, i'll like be scrolling through youtube you know after work on the couch you know on the tv and i'll see my thumbnail come up i'm like that's weird <laughs> <laughs> okay seeing my my own face on tv okay that's just weird moving on um but no i totally appreciate it um I, I think one thing you'll find is i'm super excited about technology i think tom could also agree with this like i'm just not the um popular feeling person like i'm, I'm human everyone's human and you know it is what it is but i really appreciate that i just love to yeah. help people in any way that i could be of service yeah and just yep, to like, thank you yeah and just to echo what tom said earlier too, like, uh, you know, about it, it's not competition. It absolutely is not, you know, in the beginning, I'll be honest, I, th I thought it was, I thought getting into this, I thought it was, and it's absolutely not, you know, I, 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 I thought that in the beginning, not that I thought I was competing with people. I thought it was just competing for eyeballs. Uh, but what I learned through this journey is that, you know, what do they say? A rising tide lifts all boats. And yeah. so if we're in this category, uh, my goal is to grow the category and not my channel because growing the category will rise the tide for all the boats in it. So yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, those things you pick up along the way. And I, I, I totally agree. And again, it wasn't like, yeah, I, I never thought it was a competition, but you know, from the outside looking in, you know, that's, that's what you think, but it's not like that at all. And it's, it's fantastic. And I think all of us, you know, creating content in this category is just going to help all of us too. I think it can be that way though, with, with some people, there's, there's some competition. I feel like, Doing business right, um, be don't don't compete, right? If somebody was to hypothetically, you know, because Tom and I are both a business, right? So if someone comes to me and they're like, I need to know why I should pick you over Tom. I'm like, flip a coin. Or like if yeah. Tom gets the gig, he's gonna do a great job. If I get the gig, I'm gonna do a great job. You go with either one of us, you're gonna get a great result. Flip a coin, do whatever you gotta do, but do do both or which Linux channel should I watch? Should I watch yours? Watch them all. Literally, just watch every one of them. Like, that's going to be my answer because that owning everything does no good to anyone. It just doesn't. Yeah, yeah. 
Mm-mm. I um I have another friend I'm I'm helping out and he's works at the high level of cybersecurity. But we were talking about it like his first concept was, well, I looked for this content, I didn't find it, so I thought maybe I shouldn't produce it for YouTube. Come back a few years later, he's like, oh, I needed to produce it for YouTube and look at all the views it gets and things like that. So it's fun talking to people like that because you sometimes people get nervous about whether they should post the content on there. But honestly, the amount of content there is on these deep technical topics, whether it's setting up storage servers or build automation or Ansible, um, once you build it and once one person starts watching it, many people start watching it. Now people just expect that content on YouTube. You go back, you know, YouTube didn't even expect this content on YouTube. This is this wasn't like they were. They, I mean, obviously, I mean, really digs in history. They were a dating site originally, not even a place, but now they're the place for learning. So overall, it's just kind of cool to where where it's growing. And uh, the more of us that participate in it, the the more people that come to YouTube as a platform looking for that content. So, but there is one really huge problem I need to address. That really, we need we need to do something about this because it's really bothering me. Um, so Tim has a hundred thousand views, and his like editing skills and video quality is far better than mine was at that same time. Oh, yeah, yeah. How the heck does he have just 100,000 views? We need to get that pushed up higher. It's, it's not good enough. Like, yeah, 100,000 subscribe. subscribers, not enough. <laughs> yeah, like if, you, if you're not subscribed to him, do it. We need to push that up there because if he's this good at 100,000 views, like when he gets to where I'm at now, I mean, oh, my God. Um, just <laughs> absolutely subscribe to his channel. Let's get those numbers up there because they're way too low for what he's doing. Thank you. You're you're too generous, and I, you know, I say the same thing about YouTubers that maybe people haven't heard about too. You know, Ray Dahl or Christian Digital yeah. Life. I mean, they're coming out swinging on Video Zero. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, wow, these channels have you know great content, uh, very focused, and have great editing skills. You know, on on you know uh, you know in their first year, I'm like, yeah, I think the same thing too. Um, but yeah, I, I do appreciate it. There are so many channels out there that, you know, that I think deserve more subscribers than they have. So I always encourage everyone to to subscribe to every channel that you're even mildly interested in, whether yeah. it's mine or anyone's. If you looked at a video once, just hit subscribe. That's a good signal to YouTube to say, hey, this channel is interesting and I'm going to recommend it to more people. So if you got anything, even one tip uh, out of any video, just hit subscribe, hit yep. thumbs up, hit subscribe. Absolutely. Leave a comment while you're at it too, because all that helps the algorithm. Those are just signals to YouTube to say, hey, algorithm, this person liked this thing, um, you know, and we'll recommend it to people who also like this thing. So I, I always yeah. encourage people to subscribe. I mean, it's it's like clicking thumbs up on a post. Just 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 do it if you like just, it. Just do it. And you're not going to regret it. I mean, your content's great. Um, I, I watched the video, I believe it was yesterday, if I'm not mistaken, and I was really impressed by it. Um, everything was spot on. Camera, I, I liked the lighting, the editing, um, the narrative was great. Um, yeah, it's it's just good stuff. So your your YouTube career is going to be pretty damn good. I'm not just going to say that right now. I appreciate it, and uh, I I appreciate it. And uh, just a, a little meta about editing that video. It was it was uh, it was pretty awesome, and again surreal. Like that, everyone was like, "Yeah, sure, I'm on board. Hand me your video, uh, and just say go with it." And then. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. I had to figure out how to tie the story together, and it uh, took a while. That was the first time where I felt like I was a newscaster or something, reporting on something. <laughs> it was kind of, it was just a different take, and it was really fun. So I, I hope it turned out okay, and you guys are great. happy with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was great. 
All right. So go subscribe to Techno Tim's channel. Easy enough to find. I'll have links uh, in the description of the video. By the time this is uh, the live stream's over, I always got to go back and update the links. It'll be in the podcast. Thank you very much, Techno Tim, for joining us and looking forward to you joining us again in the future. More yep. episodes. Hey. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Go get started on your home lab challenge, your 100 days of home lab. So That's right. <laughs> All I'll right. Get back to work first. But yeah, Thanks. right after that. <laughs> for sure. Thanks. See you.